0: Uh, as we uh, continue in our series in the book of Exodus, uh, which, as you uh, know by now, uh, meant uh, flying through the ten plagues in two sermons and then coming to a screeching uh, halt at the Ten Commandments. Uh, and as we consider each one uh, separately, uh, individually, we come this morning to uh, the fourth commandment. Let me ask that you stand as we read God's word uh, together. I'm going to begin in verse one as has uh, become our practice uh, to read everything up until uh, whichever commandment we're on this morning. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods, and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Here ends the reading of God's word. Let's pray as we um, open it this morning. Let's pray together. Uh, Father, we pray that you would send your spirit uh, to us, uh, that he may touch our eyes and make us see Show us the truth concealed within your word and in your book revealed. May we see the Lord. We pray this in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, You know, if you want to start an in-house debate among uh, Christians, uh, the fourth commandment is probably the best place to start. Um, I don't know why you'd want to do that. That would be frowned upon for a whole bunch of reasons. Please don't. But if you're looking to start some sort of debate um, within the body of Christ, the fourth commandment's are pretty good place to start. If you, now, if you're, if you're outside the church, you probably want to focus on the first and the seventh. Um, but inside the church, uh, it is perhaps this commandment, the fourth commandment, that... Um, that starts more debates, um, stirs up more dust uh, within the body of Christ. You know, it's interesting that even outside the church, they seem to know that the sixth and eighth commandments are good commandments. They, they know not to, you know, kill people. That's the sixth. They know that it's wrong to take other people's stuff. That's the eighth. Um, but they have their sort of their limits. If you want to start a debate out there, the first and the seventh, seventh are the best place. But inside the church, uh, the fourth commandment creates its own sorts of conflict uh, within the body. Uh, the fourth commandment, though, it fits. You, you, perhaps you noticed. I don't know, maybe you t- come to the, the commandments and think of them as, as sort of a collection of, of hodgepodge thought. You know, it's the way, the way I would write a grocery list. Oh, oh, wait, I need that. Oh, we also need some of that. Wait, I forgot. Right? There's, there's no real connection, right? You ever go through the grocery store and you walk out thinking, could I have any more random things than I do? You know, you're walking out with four things and it's like toilet paper and a cucumber and they just don't seem to fit. But what we find is in the context of the Ten Commandments, especially within the first four that have to do with our duty to God, the fourth finds a rightful place in this list because notice the connection. The first commandment tells us to worship the correct God, the one true and living God. The second commandment tells us. To worship that one true God the right way. The way he has revealed in his word and not through images. The third commandment tells us to worship him accurately according to his true name and character as he's made himself known. The fourth commandment tells us when we should worship that God. So it sets aside the time within our calendars for the purpose of meeting with our Redeemer. First, I want you to see the commandment itself. Uh, You know, you you get one word in. I mean, you get to verse 8 and the first word and already you're going, something's different about this one. And actually, it stands out. It looks really cool in Hebrew. Because in Hebrew, every commandment except 4 and 5 start with the exact same word. No or not. And so you can see, you can actually watch the pattern in the Ten Commandments, not this, not you shall this, not you shall that. Remember, you get to the fourth commandment, you go, hold on a second. I've gotten one word in and it's already different. And it begins with a reminder to remember. We tend to use that word um, when we've forgotten something or when we're looking back on a day or event or an action somewhere. In the I remember When Clemson was good at football, (laughs) I remember, I don't know why this randomly popped into my head. Uh, I I remember uh, being out on the ocean and catching a fish one time. And as I was fighting this fish, seeing about 40, 50 yards that way, a shark fin pop up out of the water. That fish was glad to get caught. I will I'll I'll take my chances with this hook in my mouth instead of this shark following you. That's how we tend to use the word remember. We we sort of there's there's information or an act or an event or something in our past that we're supposed to look back on. And and this has some of that, as we'll see in just a few minutes. But let me remind you that God is speaking to his people. Between Egypt and the promised land. And he's telling them not. Not. Hey, remember the Sabbath day. Back then, he's actually telling them, "In your future, I'm going to need you to remember this day um, when when your child's birthday is coming, or when your wedding anniversary is coming up. When's the best time to remember that? Is it after the fact? That's that's the one way ticket to couch sleeping." <laughs> No, it means remembering before the day actually gets here. And making plans and preparations and asking the the birthday person, look, I mean, you get to choose the the dinner place. This is our tradition. So you get to choose what we do for dinner. We need to know in advance if we're going to have to cook something special or if there's some place you want to go special. We've got to make plans for this. And so There's a a sense in which the fourth commandment says remember the Sabbath day but you're talking about remembering something in the future which involves planning, preparation, getting ready, doing things in advance because there is such a day coming as the Sabbath day. And that's part of what we're supposed to remember in this fourth commandment. But notice there's a, a second aspect to the commandment itself. Not only remember the Sabbath day, but remember it to keep it holy. And, and there is this sense in which when we remember it, we're already heading down that road. When we remember the Sabbath day properly, we're already aiming towards keeping it holy and, and keeping it as a a separate a different kind of day from the rest we remember and that remembering leads to certain actions and plans and by those actions and plans we're already beginning to keep the day holy what does it mean that the sabbath day is holy what does that even mean we've we've seen this word A number of times already. We've seen it even back just in the previous chapter in Exodus 19 when God told the people of Israel that you are my holy nation. It means that it's set apart from, but also set apart to. These are God's people who are set apart from the entire rest of the world. Why? Because they have God's favor and the rest of the world, the rest of the nations do not. But by that favor, they're also set apart, not just from the rest of the world, but set apart to God. It means it's different. It means it's other. It means that it's sanctified. It means that it's set apart. It's holy. It is by its very existence different from all of the rest. And so in many ways, the commandment is pretty straightforward. In fact, I think that's part of what gives us trouble. Part of what what gives us such consternation and conflict within our souls is that it is clear and we frequently don't like it. We see the commandment, but then we're told how to keep the commandment in verses nine and ten. Notice that there are six days, and on those six days you do all of your work. But the seventh day, the Sabbath day, is a day for resting from our labor. Verse 10, on it you shall not do any work. And then not only you, but everybody within your house, everyone under your oversight, anyone who works for you or belongs to you or is part of your household, they too get the day And so even, even that alone reminds us that that day has a very different purpose. Six days of work, one day of rest. Incidentally, um, this is an aside. This is, this is free. Um, This is why we at Grace Covenant don't really follow the church calendar. Um, I, I don't see evidence for a church calendar in the Bible Um, what I see, the church calendar is, is one day of rest, six days of labor. One day of rest, six days of labor. That's the church calendar in Scripture. Where we make our one exception, birth, death, well, our three, I guess, exceptions. Birth, death, resurrection of Jesus, because those events get constant reminders throughout the entire New Testament. Everything about our salvation is grounded in those three events. So, That's an aside, but that's free. The church calendar in the Bible is literally one day of rest, six days of labor. And so the point of the Sabbath day is to be a day that's set apart from all of the others. Because all of the others are yours to use for all the work that you have to do. And the seventh day is a day of rest a day when you're expressly forbidden you're expressly commanded not to do those things that you do all of those other six days we cease from our labors we cease from our our to steal from covenant college our little sea callings in the world but notice verse 10 notice how it begins But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord. In other words, it's not just set apart from the other days, but it's set apart to God and to his purposes. In other words, there's this this sense in which the day itself says, today's the day for you to focus intently on him. Today's the day for you to give wholly and completely To the Lord your God. The day belongs to Him. Turn with me to Exodus chapter, chapter 31. Exodus 31. The very end of the chapter. Right before the very end. Which tells us these commandments God wrote by His finger on tablets of stone. Right before that, we get verses 12 to 17, a reiteration, a reminder of the Sabbath. The Lord said to Moses, you are to speak to the people of Israel and say, above all, you shall keep my Sabbath. For this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. You shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you, everyone. Who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. So you see this reminder that the day belongs to God and not to us. So keeping the commandment, when it comes to keeping the fourth commandment, it must involve some sort of ceasing from our work. And that is where the questions start. Because notice that nowhere in the Bible is work defined. Nowhere are we told, here are the list of things, here's the list of things you can do. And here's the list of things you can't do. We want those, don't we? We like lists. We like clarity. We don't really want to be left to our own wisdom and devices to, um, to do the best that we can. And for that matter, we kind of like lists, not so much just for ourselves, so we can make sure we're doing it right, but also so we can make sure you're doing it right. Right? <laughs> The Bible doesn't give us that clarity. It simply says, cease from your work. It does sort of point us down roads, though. It does, in several places, kind of say, well, come here. Look down that road, and and that right there will give you some guidance and direction. Turn to Isaiah chapter 58. Just to, to... Let's let's point down one of those roads uh, ourselves. Isaiah 58, um, verses 13 and 14. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day and call the Sabbath a delight and the holy day of the Lord honorable. If you honor it, not going your own ways or seeking your own pleasure or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord. And I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. Do you hear the the distinction that, that Isaiah is making there, that God is making through the lips of or the pen of Isaiah? if you'll turn from doing your thing on my day and instead do my thing on my day then you will be blessed not only that but verse 14 then you will delight in me have you ever thought about the fact that you know i just i struggle to delight in the lord Perhaps this is one of the means that he uses when we sort of give back to him one seventh of our time. He uses that as a blessing, as a a means to increasing our delight in him. Uh, We could could look at Amos 8. And in Amos 8, God's people uh, are asking, When will the new moon be over? that we may sell grain and the Sabbath that we may offer wheat for sale, that we may make the ephah small and the shekel great and deal deceitfully with false balances. So they're clearly trying to violate the eighth commandment, but they really are eager for the Sabbath day to end so that they can get back to work and swindle people. But they're, they would, they would rather sell and cheat than delight in the Sabbath. They're, they're watching the clock. When is this going to be over so that I can get back to work? You see the emphasis in these passages that the, the day belongs to God and not to us. for our, For us to use for our own purposes and our designs, but instead to use for His honor and for His glory. You know, inevitably... Whenever the fourth commandment, I can virtually, well, if I didn't say what I'm about to say, I could virtually guarantee that as soon as worship is over or as soon as Sunday school is over, I will have a line of people wanting to ask, Can I? Is it okay if I? And the reality is, I'm not all that interested in that conversation. Because I think the bigger question is, Why are you asking? It's not, what is the what can I do and what can I not do? The bigger problem is, the bigger question is, why are we asking that question at all? I think there are two reasons why we ask, is it okay if I fill in the blank on Sundays? The first is that you're trying to make sure you do enough and do it right. And make sure God likes you. That really at the heart of it, your great desire is, well, if I can tick all the boxes, if I can put a check by all the things on the list, then I will be good. I will be a good Christian and God will be pleased with me and satisfied with me. And I'm going to gain his favor. You know, that is by definition, legalism. That's, that's definition number one of legalism. Trying to gain God's favor by law-keeping. Definition number two is of legalism is holding people to standards that are not in the Bible. Don't drink, smoke, or chew, or go with girls that do. There's your list. So one of the reasons we tend to ask the, is it okay if I, on blank, on Sunday, is to, because we're, we just think if we can just check the box. If we can just tick the box, then I will have gained his favor, I'll do well on my performance review at the end of the year or at the end of my life or whatever the case may be. Do, do I need to remind you? I, I do need to remind. Let me rephrase that. I've already told you I'm going to do this every single week. Don't forget the first two verses of Exodus 20. This is why we read the entire thing. We don't just read the commandment itself. This is why every week I'm starting in verse 1 and reading through whichever commandment we're on. How does the passage begin? I've already redeemed you. I've already delivered you. I've already saved you. The law, the Ten Commandments were never given to people to keep them in order to gain God's favor. They were given to people who already have it. So please don't ever come to the Ten Commandments and say, well, if I could just do this, then I'll have his favor. Truth is, actually, Deuteronomy 5, so the Ten Commandments. If you're ever given a quiz, where are the Ten Commandments in the Bible? Exodus 20, Deuteronomy 5. Um, In Deuteronomy 5, they're, they're given again. And the fourth commandment in Deuteronomy 5, instead of looking back, to creation it actually looks back to deliverance from Egypt that's the connection made there in other words this is not a law to keep to gain god's favor it's a law to keep to respond to his favor that that's the first reason we ask the is it okay if i blank On Sunday, the second reason we ask that question is because we want to object to keeping the Sabbath because doing so would be legalistic. First strike you as odd that the only commandment we complain about. Well, I don't can't come to the Sabbath. I mean, I I don't want to be legalistic about it. Nobody ever says, well, I know the Bible says not to murder. But I don't want to be, you know, honey, I know the Bible says don't commit adultery, but I don't want to be legalistic about it. But we do this with the fourth. We we make the argument that making any that having any desire or making any effort to keep the fourth commandment is itself inherently legalistic. That it is itself by definition that it should be, you know, gotten rid of. But there's no way to remove the fourth commandment written by the finger of God in a tablet of stone without damaging the whole list, without damaging the whole tablet. I want you to turn with me to Mark chapter two. Uh, In Mark chapter two is a. A passage that um, will frequently come up in any uh, conversation on the Sabbath. Mark chapter 2, beginning verse 23. Uh, One Sabbath, he, Jesus, was going through grain fields. And as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees said, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Remember the remember the list. There's, there's no list of there's no definition in the Bible of work, and so we don't really have a clear. These are the works you're supposed to stop from. Well, the Pharisees wanted to make such a list just so they could know, just so they could be sure. Well, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the priest and Ate the bread of the presence, which was not lawful for any but the priest to eat and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the son of man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. The Pharisees wanted their definition of work. And so they did. Here's how far you're allowed to walk, go beyond that and its work. Here's how heavy the spoon you're allowed to use must be lest you do work on the Sabbath. And Jesus says, look, I've given you a day, a day designed for rest because you need it. Because you, for your own physical and spiritual well-being, God has given us a day to rest. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. You know, I I guess I've never really understood the animosity towards the Sabbath. Because we have a seven and a half week vacation every year commanded by God himself. And we would rather look at it, and go, but God, I really like my headaches. I really like my anxiety. I really like my heart trouble. I really need to keep working. I can't take a day off because these things are so much more precious to me. God gives us, commands us to rest one day in seven. It's also, and this I never crossed my mind until... Preparing for this, and if I could, if I could sort of speak colloquially about colloquially, colloquially about the Ten Commandments. You know, there's this, there's this sort of common parlance kind of thing out there that these are the ten big ones, right? Like, there's a lot of law. People have this impression that God's just this law-giving, constant, and stern, and just giving laws. And there's a lot of laws and rules in the Bible, but these are the ten big ones, right? Does it strike you as odd that God chose to use one of the ten big ones to tell you to stop working? That probably says something about our own sinful desire to work that everything is somehow up to us. And when we rest, we prove, I'm trusting him. I'm trusting him to take care of me. I'm trusting him to provide for me. He actually chose you know, the, the difficult, oppressive, finger-wagging God of the Old Testament, right? That's, that's the, the assumption is that the God of the Old Testament is just difficult and oppressive. And, and he's so difficult, he's wagging his finger and angry at his people all the time. You must rest one day every seven We see the commandment. We see how we keep the commandment. The commandment is kept when we cease from our labors and rest and worship with God's people one day in seven. We also see the reason for the commandment in verse 11. Um, The Sabbath principle isn't new. In fact, it's woven into the fabric of creation. It doesn't begin in Exodus 20. It didn't begin in Exodus 16 when the Israelites were provided manna every morning and they went out in the morning and they gathered manna for the day. And if they kept any overnight the next morning, it was bad and spoiled, except for on Friday, because on the Sabbath, there would be no manna and they wouldn't go out and gather the manna. So neither God nor the people worked on the Sabbath. It's actually woven into the very pattern of the week laid out for us in Genesis 1 and then the first three verses of chapter 2. The seventh day of creation, Genesis, I mean, yeah, Genesis 2, 1 to 3. And God rested on the Sabbath day and he blessed it. Now you realize, surely, surely we know that God wasn't just dog tired. Sweating, hurting, sore from six whole days of actually saying, let there be. And he just collapsed on the couch, tired, because he just couldn't take another step. God doesn't just command the Sabbath. He models it. When we keep the commandment, we're not just following his commandment, we're following his lead. We're actually doing what he himself has done. You do realize he could have created in six hours, six minutes, or six gazillion years. He could have done, and we're told it's six days. It took him a whole day to say, let there be light. And, and I guess it took a whole day for the light. But he models this principle Six days of work, one day of rest for us. Resting on the seventh day is more than just following God's command. It's following his lead. We see the commandment. We see how we keep the commandment. We see uh, the reason for the commandment is because God himself rested on the seventh day. But we need to ask a question What happened to the day? Because you notice you're here. Sunday is not the weekend. Sunday is the week beginning. You're here on the first day of the week, not the seventh day of the week. Why the change? Well, the pattern, you can see it clearly in in verse 10. Six days of work followed by one day of rest. And so the Old Testament Sabbath was the seventh day of the week, which would be Saturday. And yet here we are on the first day. The pattern changes in Acts. You may have noticed in our affirmation of faith that we in the shorter catechism, that from creation to the resurrection of Jesus, the Sabbath was the the seventh day of the week. And since the resurrection of Jesus, it is The first day of the week. In fact, in the New Testament from then on, it's called the Lord's Day. It's not called the Sabbath again uh, anymore. John in Revelation was in the spirit on the Lord's Day. The saints gather for worship on the Lord's Day, the first day of the week throughout the New Testament. You can watch the pattern change in the book of Acts. That's why we gather on the first day of the week. So while it's true that the Lord's Day isn't exactly the Jewish Sabbath, we're still given a day on which we're to meet with our Redeemer and with our fellow redeemed and to rest from all our daily labor. The pattern of the Old Testament was six days of work, one day of rest. The pattern of the New Testament is one day of rest followed by six days of work. Could I make this connection? does that not reflect the reality of our salvation? Does that not reflect the reality of Acts 20? Because they can rest secure that God has already redeemed them, they then get the Ten Commandments. Because we rest secure that Christ has redeemed us, that Christ has saved us, because we celebrate the first day of the week as the Christian Sabbath, as the Lord's Day, only then out of that relationship will we go out into the world and work, labor, and live the lives that he's called us to live. Perhaps the application of this passage is clear. Um, so let me simply say this as we, as we come to the Lord's Supper in just a couple of minutes. The idea of the Sabbath reminds us to consider what's our greatest possession. What's the greatest thing you have? If you say anything other than Jesus, if you say anything other than your relationship with Christ, if you say, well, it's my house. It's my car. It's my job. We we could put any number of things in that list, all of which would reflect, I've got to go out and do this and make this happen because my greatest possession, my greatest joy in life comes from the stuff that my work, that my money can buy me. But is not our greatest possession Mm -hmm. Jesus himself? Is it not the fact that he has given himself his very life, that he would shed his blood and suffer and bleed and die because of our sin, that he's given himself for you, that you might be given a new name, a new relationship, a new family, a new household. Is that not our greatest possession? Our weekly Lord's Day. Gives us the opportunity. It affords us the opportunity to celebrate the greatest thing we own. And that nothing can take from you. You can lose your job. You can lose your house. You can lose your car. You can have a wreck and damage your car. Your house can catch on fire. You can drive your car through your garage and damage both at the same time. Your greatest possession, nobody can take from you. And celebrating the Lord's day together, giving him one day when we meet with our redeemer alongside our fellow redeemed is a chance for us to rest in that, to celebrate that, that the greatest thing, our greatest delight is in him and not in our stuff. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you that you have indeed given us a day, uh, a day that is um, by its very design from its very beginning, unlike any of the others. It's a day that is set aside from them because they uh, those six days are for our work. This day is for our physical and spiritual nourishment, our physical and spiritual rest that we might rest in you. Father, we pray that you would increase our delight in the Lord's day, that we would find it to be a great joy, a great privilege to uh, to tell the world around us, you're going to have to wait until tomorrow because the God of heaven and earth has called me to himself. We pray all of this in the name of Christ, our Savior. Amen.